What makes for a great director or a skilled writer? How do good actors do what they do? Does great art always follow the rules? Welcome to Press Play and Surrender. I'm your host, Owen McQuinn, and I'm an Irish filmmaker and actor. This is my chance to speak to artists of all kinds, as well as industry players, from up-and-comers to established talent. It's a space for in-depth conversation, where personal insights and unexpected tangents are very much encouraged. You're listening to Press Play and Surrender. My guest today is Valerie Nielinczyk. Valerie is an accomplished writer and actor and one of my dearest friends. I think you can tell from how I light up on the call, she just has a gift with comedy and I can't help but crack up. Valerie studied drama at Trinity and also lived in New York for a year, during which time she performed off-Broadway and had her own writing staged. Valerie and I wrote and starred in the web series Notions together, and Valerie is currently developing a new animated series called My Bad Years, Badgers. So here's me talking to Valerie Nilinchik. Hello, Valerie. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm wonderful, Owen. All the, all the better for seeing you. As oh, the thank wolf, you. Uh, as the wolf in uh, Three Little Pigs or whatever that fancy... fancy <laughs> Red Riding Hood. That's it. Yes. It's not like I'm a writer and I should know my references or anything. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm I'm absolutely, I don't know. It's it's great to be able to me to procrastinate as well because I have a lot of coding to be doing. And I'm like extremely, I'm, instead I'm talking to this charismatic person, I'm like amazing. And I feel like it's not procrastinating because it's contributing to my creative input as well so exactly you need a balance of creativity and it coding that's it but i do love i do love the coding as well um i was working out the the week some off for the weekend and i was chilling uh for most of the morning and i was trying to mop the kitchen floor and um our mop bucket broke so i just poured poured the chemicals directly on and then tried to throw liters of water (laughs) over the floor (laughs) to try to just did did you just use the mop head I initially just got the chemicals, flung it like an abstract painter all over the floor, then thought, meh, I'll balance it out with some fairy liquid, even though that'll cause catastrophic amount of bubbles. Then I was like, how will I do this? I can't just like start wiping the chemicals out the door. I know I'll throw liters of hot water all over it. And then I ran and I ran and I never looked back. Excellent. Well, it sounds like your house will be extremely clean. It will. It will be. It'll be flooded, but it'll be clean nonetheless. Right. So people watching this, they may not know, they may presume you and I met in drama school or at in theatre, in a production somewhere fancy. We met in an airport bookshop. W.H. Smith, Smith, both working part time in. Well, I was full time. You were full time. Okay, but we overlapped on the weekends sometimes. And uh it was a fast-paced environment. There were some interesting characters working there. We were given but, um, a lot of uh, creative license to do as we pleased, I feel, during the workday in that I, place. Well, I remember oh. there were like there were new self-service checkouts, and you would be tasked with 
standing at the checkouts and saying, ladies and gentlemen, if you can please proceed to the self-service checkouts and leave your belongings or your purchases in the bagging area. Like, you were very formal. You were very like, theatrical. I like a flash mob. I've treated it like a Kirkadurka kind of immersive theatrical experience. So I was like, right. ladies and gentlemen. And I try to mix it up and kind of, you know, add different flair, character to it, create different types of conflict, unnecessary conflict in many cases. And um, never do what I was actually supposed to be doing. But no, right. it, was, but it was amazing. We met some celebrities as well along the way. My first shift, uh, Neil Jordan came up to me in the queue. And like, like, I was telling him about this short film I was making. And he was asking me what kind of camera I was using. And he was like, is that a good camera? And I was like, yeah, I think it is. Like, I knew I was where I was meant to be. I was meant to be working <laughs> in an airport bookshop. I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, well, two yeah. writers. We could have, you know, we were we could have been aspiring to have the next thing on the on the stand and and everything. We met Ronan Keating's dad one day, remember as well. Oh, okay. No, I don't remember that, but I do remember people, yeah. our colleagues, thought or presumed that we had known each other for years because of the way yeah. we talked to each other. And I had mentioned that I'd been in the film Stitches. And you were, like, amazed by this. And you couldn't understand why no one else cared. Like, no one else thought that was impressive. They were like, but you he's were like, told us. He's told us many times. <laughs> but I but was like, because I watched it. And I remember I auditioned for that and I didn't get it. So I was particularly okay. impressed. Now, it wasn't for your role, but I would have loved that too. Well, it could have been. male whose head explodes dramatically and Ross Noble, like, kills him and disembowels him. Makes a balloon animal. Alley. Right. Exactly. It could have been right up your alley. I mean, we're always vying for the same parts, you and I. We're, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's a pity. The same look. You know, we have the same look and we're just competing at all times for. Yeah, yeah we had a very dry most... and kind of droll, uh, kind of downbeat, kind of sarcastic humor of uh, in WH Smith. And everyone appreciated it. And at times, like reality and, and fantasy blurred. And we weren't sure when, when we were joking, when we weren't joking. <laughs> I was right. becoming increasingly delirious because my accommodation as well, the fridge wasn't working. So I'd just, oh, yeah. just be like, meh, I'll eat, I'll eat when I get in and I'll always be late. So I'd be like, oh, crumb, I don't have time to eat. So I'd just be on coffee. I'd be continuously drinking yeah. coffee and all I had was coffee from 9am to 1. And Is then, that the uh, same accommodation the where they made you pay for the showers or something? The electricity ran by old school. There was like literally this kind of cog type thing in the in the wall and you popped in a euro like you would in the locker rooms these days and then the electricity worked on an hourly kind of basis with the euro and like you wouldn't want to run out of your euros like you know what i mean no <laughs> but i that's... was like it'll be great i'll barely be there it'll be inspiring i'll be out i'll be auditioning or i'll be working and i thought are you i've never learned that lesson like don't do that seek comfort i've always been like if if the accommodation you know i shouldn't get too comfortable because i it'll be more inspiring to go out and about and do things if it's not uh, but no, in fact, I was like running on coffee for hours and ends, yeah. like delirious and Dr. Smith. Yeah, but you it, were lacking bare essentials. And so yeah. let's and go back. Let's go all Crestfall the way back. Well. You were doing what? I was in Crestfall at the same time, play Crestfall. Okay. And I was demented. Okay. And I think there's some something backfired in the neurons in my brain or something, or like the neural pathways from lack of food in the morning and too much coffee. Because I remember there was a phase where I was frantically laughing for no reason. And that continued throughout rehearsals. And you they were would all punch me and give me a dead arm. 
Well, I know, I still do that. That wasn't <laughs> delirium. Yeah, and it's just spontaneous laughter that makes no sense. But what production was that? Who was making that? Who was doing Crestfall with you then? Crestfall in the Teachers Club um, for the Shakespeare Society. And uh, it was a huge audience. I, I was... I suppose I, I love Marco Rowe anyway, the playwright, and I love the writing. And it's, um, I don't know if you're, you're probably familiar with play or you seem to be familiar with all, all plays anyway. And I know Ashley O'Sullivan's in it and you're a huge, you, well, you know her as well. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, it was, I was playing Olive Day and it's basically three characters, three monologues that uh, have some commonality between them. And each character, each actor is performing an entire seen just by themselves because it's basically three monologues and it's extremely serious and it's written in kind of Marco Rowe iambic pentameter featuring very graphic language and um, it's tragic and you know during rehearsals that crazily laughter thing I'm sure they thought like I'd somehow break into spontaneous laughter in the middle of the play (laughs) no I won't (laughs) but this packed house I can believe upstairs at each club and it was absolutely jam-packed the audience yeah. and uh it's so up close and personal right as you know like because it wasn't yeah. this downstairs in the teachers club it was upstairs and just oh, okay. the seat in front of you and all the three actors were sitting at the front with the two directors uh keenly overseeing us and a few rows back expecting my spontaneous laughter at any moment <laughs> and um we, we we waited and the whole audience were in chairs it was all the same level and um we we had to stay in character because it was a rehearsed reading like you're you're reading and acting but you could see each and every single audience member and this you know there were no lights as such so you could see into everybody's face and it was a very kind of laid back setting um but we i mean i when i get into it i i you know me i actually kind of start to think i am the character so there was no chance that i'd anyway break character so even if i was interacting with the audience i i felt i was all of day <laughs> you know so it right. was kind of it was, it's an extreme experience in some way because it was so up close and personal and you could see every single audience member and you couldn't just do your monologue and leave the stage like you had to sit in in character you're there in character and you're also reacting to the other other monologues which wouldn't necessarily be seen in the same play usually on stage and um that was a surreal experience because i remember there's a lady in the my parents came to see it as well and there was a lady in the audience and I could see her as I was performing and she started crying in reaction to the monologue. And that was one of the most surreal and powerful experiences because I've never, obviously the words are so beautiful, Marco Rowe, excellent writer. Um, but it's you can immediately see from this completely objective person what words can do and what theatre can do when there's someone and it's like, there's no lights, there's no stage necessarily and you're looking directly at them. And she's she's literally crying in reaction to the story, so that was yeah definitely a very powerful moment that year. So I yeah I, I don't regret a thing about <laughs> W. H. Smith or the bedsit yeah. or the electricity right, right. or the on the wall. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go back. Let's take me right back to your upbringing. Where did you grow up, and what did your parents do? Um, you know, I I still feel like I'm still growing up, but <laughs> I haven't finished. <laughs> You're Benjamin Bunning, so you're going I backwards. I am <laughs> aging, frantically aging backwards. But I'm uh, from West Cork, Clonakilty, home and famous for our black pudding. Um, beautiful, beautiful place that I didn't appreciate enough at the time when I was there. Uh, my parents did a great job. We, we were out in Inchidani uh, Beach, so kind of completely secluded in some ways, which developed my, I'm obsessed with reading. I probably didn't say much for the first 12 years of my life. 
I like I I would be have been a very taciturn but then to kind of fit in because I was such a tomboy I was like oh I have to do something to like let so the girls won't like just completely ostracize me so like the, what I can do is make them laugh um and so that's where I, my keen interest in comedy occurred and I knew it was like a a buzz a kind of addiction and the dopamine levels from from laughter and things so I'd always be thinking of how to make people laugh and things like that and that was when the focus on speaking came but I was always <laughs> reading I'd be because I was out in Inchidani completely isolated I had my older brother yeah. and I was always uh, hanging out with him but he he obviously got sick of me after a while he's three years older than me and I was cramping his style and it took me a long time to accept that rejection I'd, I'm known to have been following him around for years and his friends can remember me and he'd always like go away and he tried every tactic to get rid of me like he'd put you know be kind of really mean or try to embarrass me and I'd just yeah. come back and trailing him around because I couldn't accept the rejection right <laughs> he tried to freeze you out but it didn't work you were very no. persistent I kept I didn't matter what what he was going to say what I was going to show up no matter what uh, but then once I finally accepted the rejection, I massively turned to books a lot more. And every, I think my reading level was probably uh, excellent at six and then maintained that for <laughs> for years. Because, well, it was very, okay. I was reading so much from the from the ages of six to 16. And I yeah. went to boarding school for two years. So the reading... And who would have you been your favorite authors when you were like 12, 13? Yeah, I a complete mixture, but Roald Dahl, Jacqueline Wilson. Um, then I had Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling. I read, I remember I was on the stairs and I, I can distinctly remember reading the fourth Harry Potter book. And I was ex- I was young for for the, the absolute width of that book. But those books are so yeah. engaging, so entertaining that like, yeah, it's not exactly, it's not difficult to read them necessarily. But I yeah. read that in one day because I spent, I think, what? hours and hours continuously that reading That was like it. a doorstop. How did you <laughs> read that in one day? I was just lying on the stairs. I don't get eight. And Cedric Diggory died and I was crying. I was crying yeah. on the stairs. And that hit me for some reason a lot harder than Dumbledore's death because right. I was just so unprepared and it was so out of the blue. I just remembered the absolute heartache of that. But and it was just the the vivid nature of her writing and how she can capture everything and put so much into so mm. little. But also obviously it was an extremely lengthy book, but so much happens. And just, you know, even Dobby, the house elf and uh, all the different type of wizards and like the sorting yeah. the, the houses and every aspect of it was so creative. And Would that have inspired that, you to do your own writing from a young age? I, I think it was just second nature to me. I wasn't thinking about writing. I wasn't thinking about anything. It, it was literally all I would, could do, all I would do as well. Because I'm living in Inchidani, segregated from society. My brother wanted nothing to do with me. I couldn't light fires or anything. They had taken the matches away. (laughs) No, um, but I just loved it as well. I loved, I suppose my concentration was good because I could literally sit uh, reading something, the same thing for hours and hours and hours. And my parents are teachers. Um, I'm still teaching and my dad's a landlord now. And and they, there would be no fizzy drinks, not much sweeties and not too much time on the phones no mobile phones so you know instant gratification was not really in the house as the same way as it would be today yeah not no quick sugar fix no quick instagram hit or no quick tiktok jig or whatever um Mm -hmm. so it was all all from the, the the level of concentration that you need i suppose to get through those kind of things at a young age was so possible because of that like the house was quiet it was very peaceful there's barely anyone in the vicinity the you know, it wasn't loud. There was no distractions. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have all of these electronics or, or, you know, there was no mobile phone at that age. 
And to me, it was the most magical thing in the world as well. Like the things of Harry Potter, I could completely, that's why I guess I think I am the character these as well, because I even as I'm reading something, I, I got completely into it at the time and I'm used to it. I go into a trance-like state. And now I do that in multi multi like multiple different kind of scenarios in my real life. In the gym, I'll go into a trance-like state right. and I just tune into these trance-like states. Now, I don't yeah. know if that's healthy. Did writing and performing happen before college or was college really the first time that you were really getting into it? I suppose the writing, um, as you're saying, the reading would have contributed a lot to the writing. And uh, because, you know, we don't like to do hard things and it would naturally wouldn't have been hard because of all the things I had, I was doing, like the reading, the writing, it kind of flowed. So at school, for me, it was easier to write things. And I felt like I wasn't working as hard as if I was doing something else. So I loved that. And I always had a predilection for English and um, creative stories and in, in Irish classes while writing Irish stories. And then I would have debated in secondary school. And uh, so I prefer like, I used to have severe panic attacks as well. As a, I know it's not funny at all, but as a teenager and, I always felt like I was acting after a while. It, it happened, do you know when something small becomes so massive? Uh, basically, I had a cold one day and I was kind of choking. And then I had to read something and I started hyperventilating because I felt I was going to choke to death. And it was so embarrassing that every time then that they'd be asking somebody to read in class, I'd be having this massive panic attack. And it seems so small, a thing that I'm telling you, but it really completely disrupted in my life for years. Like the levels of stress and anxiety. And I'm sure there's something Thing to say about the fight or flight that I was I, I my body would feel it was in fight or flight and yeah. I have severe heart palpitations severe like as in this is the worst thing in the world that's going to happen if they ask to read and I choke to death or something you know and that in my head that was going to happen and wow. so I've had to form a character I felt and I was always kind of performing and thinking about if I have to do this I'll do this so I was always having my ability to quickly think of things was further refined when that happened due to panic attacks which was helpful in comedy later and is also helpful for, for creativity i'm sure yeah. and because it's extremely hyphened as well it was in street extreme stress extreme uh level of fight or flight so yeah. i debated as well to try to to help that and you could say why would you do that like isn't it drawing attention to something you thought you're afraid of but in that case, because then I started thinking about, oh, this technically is reading. I can't read. I'll have to behave or act. So I'd always be acting. I'd be acting a character when I was debating. And I used to get, I got, I, I'd get best speaker. And I would say it was more my ability to quickly think of things than, you know, nece not necessarily intelligence or not necessarily preparation, but I'd be able to really quickly think of things because my body thought I was in fight or flight. And this is the absolute end of the world if I don't. And right. uh, that's, Definitely, I got into comedy. Definitely, I got more into acting. I started loving and becoming extremely dependent on acting and having a character. Um, and I loved the writing. I loved the spontaneous improvised, improvised writing as well of debating. And then I decided to go to boarding school, both to do the Leaving with Irish, but also because of Graffiti Theatre Company in Cork, uh, which Stephanie Preisner, who's quite famous now, she was one of the drama teachers we had at the time, as well as many other excellent drama teachers. And I wanted to attend that. So I went to boarding school in Glenmire then so I could do that for fifth year. And that's really, really influenced my my love and passion for drama more. And I was in a piece of theatre that we compiled that was segments or influenced by different plays and musicals of the past. And the group of us devised a show. And I was kind of like an MC character. 
like that you would have seen from Vilgam in Bienvenue, welcome, that type of character. <laughs> and okay. like there was Joel a bit of Gray in Cabaret. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kind of based on that, but also a bit like um like uh extremely um type outrageous character as well. Um I'm trying to think of like would have been kind of a met like Liza Menelli meets, you know. I did do the Willkommen, the actual Willkommen, Bienvenue, Welcome, Fremde, Etranger, Stranger, to open it. And I was I was playing an extreme character in that, I would say. Uh, but right. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, and that was pre-college. Well, yeah, and that was that influenced me applying to Trinity and auditioning for, to Trinity. And right. um, uh, I suppose you could say why would someone who's panic connects to anything like that or whatever but in some ways I was always panicking and I was nervous doing even anything because of the severe panic attacks or a teenager so I was like why wouldn't I if That's I'm gonna like panic I may as well do something I should panic about <laughs> it's like you no. ran toward danger like towards yeah. danger yeah it seems exactly. counterintuitive but maybe you would have performed better because of the heightened adrenaline maybe it's like if I'm going to think that my surroundings are dangerous regardless, I may as well make my surroundings dangerous so that my yeah. reaction thin with what I'm, my body is doing. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It's not completely crazy. Right. But it definitely, the madness of it, is, it's definitely madness, you know, in some ways. But there, there was something about it that I absolutely loved. And I was obsessed with Marina Carr as well. I was reading a lot of Marina Carr at the time. And two of my audition pieces for Trinity were, were from Marina Carr plays. Um uh the may by marina carr there's a beautiful monologue in that and um then marina carr of course was the lecturer on the course for a period of time uh, not when i studied there previously to that but um it heavily influenced my decision to play play for trinity as well because i love her writing right and, uh, and i couldn't believe when i got the audition i was ecstatic yeah and it was was it like mainly practical performance based or was it half theory or mostly theory the audition or the application the, the course itself courses of um you could do a two subject moderatorship where you do drama theater studies with uh what uh like a separate subject entirely kind of english or irish or french or music um or you could do uh single honors drama and some people would consider that uh the more ex- extreme because it's exclusive exclusively drama and i decided that if I was going to do drama, I really wanted to throw myself into that. And there were different pathways then available if you do single honors versus a two-subject moderatorship. Um, so whereas you don't get to do English or Spanish or music additionally, but you do get to do, you know, be a director of advanced directing show or do an advanced playwriting piece, which is what I did, or advanced devising. And then you, you, they give you access potentially if you are successful in the pathway you're trying to pursue based on your grades in the first two years to have access to the Samuel Beckett Theatre, what an amazing and influential theatre, and put on your own show there, your own writing or your own direction or advanced acting as well. And then there were so many options. And it's it was extremely intensive, like in, in many ways, 16 hours a week. Sorry, 16 hours a week. What the hell? 16 people in my class only. That was such a small class. So everyone knew each other. 
and everyone kind of knew the drama people because uh, we were seen as eccentric at the beginning. And do players was the society, and it still is a society uh, for for the drama in the college, and the do comedy society as well. I was very involved with, and they put on plays all the time. I was extremely involved with plays and with comedy in the first year, and and then on. Yeah, and how do you feel like? What's it like to go from? a very cloistered existence in Clonakilty to being in Dublin and being with, you know, all of these uh, up and coming performers, like strong personalities. Um, was it intense or? I, it was extremely intense. I do feel I was half, as, as my whole life, you know, hiding panic attacks and things. I was half performing myself, like, you know, I'm constantly performing, you know, so I'm not necessarily being myself, you know, in, in any given scenario. So it wasn't necessarily something different. It was an extension of that. <laughs> so it wouldn't matter if there's two people there or 16 people or whether those people are highly yeah. extroverted or, or not, because it's still a performance for me. Um, and I I loved, I say, I, as I said, like the trance-like state kind of, I really do buy into and put everything into. I think the acting was always the thing I really loved and was like, could see myself doing because I was interested in a lot of different things. But I really want something that you have to dedicate so much to and that is extremely requires a lot physically and mentally in order to do. And the only thing I could think of um, that would be like that and that would alter from time to time is acting and throwing yourself into a character. And I was extreme in my preparation and auditioning for Trinity as well. I was out in Shadani Beach. I was running uh, 50, like 10 laps of the left beach was his 1500 meter track in preparation trying to get in peak physical condition trying to like you know look at as well as i could before i went to the thing trying to keep on top of everything and um so to me like it didn't feel as if i was necessarily amongst people who were extremely extroverted because i was focused on what we were doing and i was obsessed with the characters or forming the characters in the process and that's probably yeah. when i'm most comfortable so that yeah. uh I mean, the, probably the only the thing I found difficult is I was used to being very regimented, almost institutionalized from, from boarding school. And that's what I'm best, actually, that structure. When I completely have every hour accounted for, um, when I have a kind of set plan. And then I'm a believer in the Pomodoro technique where you've cha- changed your activity every 25 minutes so your brain can function as, as highly as it can. And so I like everything to be extremely timetabled, extremely organized, or I tend to fly off the rails. So the setup of the arts degree probably wasn't, you know, my best suited framework of mm-hmm. limited hours because then you know had I okay no had I had I got off and done the timetable myself like in a boarding school type of environment every hour accounted for that would have been fine as well but I kind of went a bit off the rails was doing stand-up comedy gigs was doing several plays I was voted class rep so I was trying to do that as well probably involved in too many things the first year and then the second year myself and my friend Kate were cast in an RT show that was another big extreme thing because we were rubbing shoulders with Jarlith Regan was one of the presenters on that. Katie Van Buren, who's on MTV now. Um, Stephen Byrne, who they, who's an Australian uh, man, very talented presenter, who often goes and interviews guests on the, on the Oscars and worked for, for the radio for years. And we were just propelled into that after an audition process. How the hell do you do an RT show and go to Trinity drama at the same uh, time? <laughs> We do. I we'd go off books for that year, so to me that was crazy as well because I, I wasn't ready for that because we kind of fell into it. I guess it was a major, it was a nationwide audition process, and I wasn't necessarily sure what we were doing because my friend Kate submitted these tapes that I didn't even know what it was like, and that sounds so crazy that I had no idea. 
and then it was on the night like RTE as well and it, they were just reshaping it as, as we went because it was just the first year of that show so they were building it what um, was the name so of the show to be and that's the rumor room and rumor I thought room. it'd be a sketch comedy show is how they build it initially sketch comedy show for teenagers but um I suppose like anything in entertainment um they kind of had to refine it and refine it based on what young people's programming wanted in order to be and it became more targeted at kind of more children and uh less sketch and um more presentation bits yeah and you also uh taught in summer camps in the states in one of the summers right I, was it was completely, I could have got any camp in America and I could have been hired to do anything. But they saw RT Radio 1 Ireland's funniest on, on they were doing a kind of a global search and they needed because they were setting up a comedy department and they saw that and that popped up and they said, this is the perfect girl. And so I came over and I was like, oh, my God, out of my depth much because it was the number one. There's two. They, they had they were number one with another camp in America for, for number one musical theater and performance camp in in america so people the the types of people there are extreme talent from all over the world like the the musical theater talent the acting talent and musicians and dancers as well there's this amazing russian ballet dancer and then by by nature of the reputation of the camp you'd like this joe you know, there was like multi-millionaire parents sending their children there trying to right. account for every second of every day so the every mm-hmm. second like interest to the children like you know, they they had every second of every day accounted for. They were doing guitar lessons or something. There's a big orchestra, amazing music teachers, amazing state of the art dance teachers, excellent magic teacher, um, and then me. <laughs> but we were thrown into it, and it was like the way it should be, I suppose. But it was complete craziness yeah. because we'd orientation, which introduced ourselves. I was like an auditioning for the kids every orientation. I had to go up and tell jokes, and I was okay. The I, the, the keyboard is a prop. So I was altering my routine so it suited young young teenagers and children. Sure. And, you know, they they needn't have laughed. Like, and uh, it was very exposed. It was broad daylight. You kind of had, it was early morning and you're trying to make them laugh. You're trying to make them send up your classes. And then by virtue as well, like you'd some, like Woody Allen's daughters, you said Manzi was there and she sent up to my class and um, Car- uh, Dylan Douglas, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas' son was there. He asked to send it to my class. I like, no, sorry, it's full. But it was full. And then someone was like, that was Catherine Zeta-Jones' son. And I was like, sorry, it's, it was full. Like, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> um, and uh, Martin Scorsese's daughter, Francesca, as well. And yeah. uh, the CEO of Bob Oh, Rogers. I follow her on TikTok. She's always on TikTok making cute and she, videos. She added me on Facebook. And the funny oh, thing okay. is, I taught... I taught Manzi well, Allen. I, I actually ask... taught Woody Allen's daughter how to do stand-up comedy, and he's obviously an extremely famous stand-up comedian. Right. And uh, I'm like, if no one laughs, I'm held accountable. <laughs> but um, he was great, yeah. You went back to the States a few years later after you graduated from Trinity, right? You spent a yeah. year in New York? Yeah, after. So I was W.H. Smith with you for the year. Um, I was saving away and getting used to life there. I did Crestfall in that time and I wrote Gilligan Survivors, my my play that I wrote for my finals in Trinity. And I put that on in Ireland and it was on in the Galway Fringe and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And the actors, the cast were incredible. And then I went off to New York on a graduate intern visa. And again, extreme luck. Well, I was seeing my, my family in New Jersey and uh, I applied for hundreds and hundreds of things. And somehow Robert Bloom, the founder of the Drama Desk Awards, called me in. I actually didn't even know who <laughs> I was Drama going to Drama Desk see. Awards. 
Yeah, that he's yeah. the founder, the producer, the guy could produce the mm. drama awards um, in New York. But I didn't really know that because um, I'd applied for hundreds of internships to uh, to align with my graduate intern visa. And he was advertising at this casting um, agency at the time. So when I arrived in and he kind of casually said that and I was like, oh, yeah, right. And I saw there's photos then of, um, you know, Grace and Frankie, the series of Netflix. He Jane knows Fonda. Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, Lily Tomlin, he knows personally oh, okay. because she, she would have been involved in the scene. And then Liza Minnelli, he knows well. And I was like, what? And it's on Broadway. <laughs> and it's on the 14th floor of Broadway. And so I kind of should have known. But um, I thought I was going in uh, for an internship. I, I didn't necessarily actually know who I, I was going to meet. And he's just casually. So, I, yeah, I do the drama scores and I pick the people who win that. And obviously, as the writer, if I won a drama score, it'd be the dream. Um, so I was like, what? And I, I Googled him after I left because he hired so, me then it's, uh, right. to help him out. And he started and, to represent you as well, right? Yeah, I was like, I, I, he was really casual about that as well. Because I, 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 I was helping him. He brought me to meetings as well with some extremely well-known like people who were developing shows for Broadway. And then I could see how they do it and the various, uh, how they were pitching it. I couldn't really believe what was happening as it was happening. <laughs> What's it like to live in New York City? Tell me. Uh, I was extremely impoverished at the time because I, well, I was <laughs> even like, impoverished. Dream. It's where I dreams come true, door. right? Alicia Keys. It was my dream. Say. I was running on on passion and passion alone because there's no food. <laughs> but um, I was going and going, and I I loved every second of it. And I was working every job, seventy hours a week. I was in uh, Saturday Night Live exhibit for my internship. Then I was helping Arbiter Bloom, and I just went in for a audition for Antigone. Okay, and I was cast in that. And I actually auditioned with the monologue from Gilligan Survivors, and that was an amazing experience because uh, I hundreds of people auditioned for that. So I was I was surprised by that because I was kind of haggard, yeah. like I was on death's door. My diet was terrible. I was working all the time, but um, I was delighted to be cast in that. Then my own play was put on, and then. Somebody saw that and asked me to do an excerpt of that. Or sorry, we also were picked for a 21-minute slot in uh, Manhattan Rep Theatre. Um, and then one of the other writers in that asked me to do... She liked the segment we did and she she invited me to do the launch of the Dionysian Literary Journal. And so we performed there. And that was incredible. One of the organizers of that, Alexander Hodge, is on... He was on Insecure, uh, the series. He's, he's doing very well now. Yeah. Um, and that was all so so crazy. Like it's crazy who you could bump into, who you could meet in the street. Like Robert yeah. O'Brien. You know, I, he sent um, me. He got me an audition in Equity. Uh, but obviously, if you're on a visa, you can't you can't have Equity membership. Right. And someone heard the Irish accent, they wouldn't let me in, and I was like, no, because it was for a Linda Tash <laughs> play, and I love her okay. as well. And she was she was literally the person who was watching the auditions. So Linda Tash was on the other side of the door, and I was there, and I, they wouldn't let me in. I was like, no. <laughs> Would you say it was a bit like Trinity in that you're kind of rubbing shoulders with all these kind of up and comers who are trying to make it in acting? Like, were there a lot of really kind of high powered young actors uh, surrounding you in these productions and in auditions and are you getting to know them, the community? Well, in, uh, as you know, the system, the equity and non-equity. So equity, they either... You have to have the citizenship, I believe. Or, uh, you have to have a green card to be in equity. Um, but not all Americans are in equity. They have to either build it up with uh, non-equity shows or be cast in an equity production. That, but that's quite hard because the queues for the non-equity auditions are a lot longer. 
and so and they put priority sometimes the equity actors so it's extremely difficult um you know so there was a lot of jokes about that of like getting into equity and non-equity or i was working for today ticks um as addition like to begin with as well and that was incredible because cuba gooding jr booked one of the tickets one day and i was supposed to deliver a ticket to cuba gooding jr and i remember watching him in movies growing up and you could literally be delivering the delivering the ticket to anyone anyone could be and um all i well i was what i was doing is going to the theaters delivering the tickets and you're you're kind of immersed in that community of of people did you get um, to go see a lot of broadway when you were there i mean it's expensive absolute luck absolute luck with today takes you you got free shows like if there if there were tickets available for a show they'd send you to a show and i remember that that was extreme another extreme strike of luck that was completely unplanned and because that influenced my writing as well and and my ability you know well my uh, my abilities definitely as a writer as well because i got such exposure to excellent writing like and it's very inspiring to see these people who are top of their game. You know, if you're an athlete, mm. you're you're going to watch these soccer games, or you know, you're just inspired and inspired and inspired by watching. Were there any in particular that you remember? The Humans by Stephen Karam. I went to see that. Uh, it was okay. excellent. And um, I watched the movie equivalent of that recently as well with Amy Schumer, and mm-hmm. that it was so interesting. I was so different. Um, because in the theater, you heard the noises, like the surreal element of maybe someone's in the house, like the banging and, and things. And that, uh, it, I mean, it definitely translated in the movie as well. But, um, you know, and then the the house was all a, a cutout, you know, so you see into the side of the house. Um, and it was amazing what theater can do. And then uh, Blackbird as well with Jeff Daniels. Um, Michelle Williams was uh, in that as well? Yes. And she was yeah. like, stunning looking it's like the light your your eyes were drawn to her she had this amazing yeah. blonde hair and yeah. what a delicate thing like she herself was like a hummingbird or something like kind yeah. of very light light on her feet dancing around the stage and that was an absolute inspiration to see um and uh i i it was a combination of things it was just absolute excellent experience because i got to, i had my own writing put on i got to see how the auditions were done i was cast then separately in Antigone and and the Laramie project was excellent as well and that was it with Alpha NYC Theatre Company um, and that was on 42nd Street and there was like a cast of 30 in that and that was definitely rubbing shoulders with the up-and-coming American actors um, all all uh, you know coming in and one of the ladies her her she her parents were personal friends with the Hiltons like Paris Hilton and things because <laughs> yeah. they own franchises of hotels and her mom came to see it and she's like that girl with the Irish accent. She came to see the play three times and she's like, when that girl with the Irish accent talks, I just sit back and I close my eyes and I listen. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, how many this woman you knows Paris Hilton? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, you know, the six degrees. You have like the opposite voice to Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah. It was slowly um, becoming fairly American. But it was right. great. It was a great risk out all of it. And then I performed in Broadway Comedy Club as well one night. And I was wow. happy, delighted to do that. Um, like a stand-up just, set or yeah complete stand-up set and okay. i was delighted it went well uh, we would have liked to do a lot more um but i was you know working 70 hours 80 hours a week to make ends meet um but on the other hand the exhibits i'd have the lines recorded for all the plays and i could walk around listening to them and i looked extremely insane to the customers because i'd be like 
I'd be doing the like senator, like, you know, I was in the Greek course, but the Greek course was instead of 24, it was three people switch to learn all the lines for Antigone. And I was playing a senator. So I'd be like yelling like some of the lines as well as I walked around corners in the exhibit. You got to memorize your lines somehow. So might as well make the yeah. most of that time. Um, that's really your goal, though, to get back to New York or to get back to America, right? You want to get back into acting. That's the absolute dream. Um, I, I'm still writing away. I wrote a series, My Bad Years or Badgers, and then that was selected for Animation Ireland uh, mentor series recently. And I'm still developing that. Um, and I'm I'm working at BNY Mellon Bank, New York Mellon's assistant manager now. And that's excellent as an excellent company. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And it's all of the knowledge I've acquired over the past four or five years is completely coming to fruition. So that gives you the element of structure and control that I, I value that as well, because sometimes the craziness, it's nice to have a bit of structure. And then within the time separately to that, I can focus on my writing and everything aside from that. And that kind of makes the creativity more comfortable in some ways. And then, of course, they have offices in, in America. So the eventual plan would be to transfer back and kind of to continue I made a lot of contacts with us in New York and I'm, I I mean, I met extreme talent all along the way from actors, writers, designers, uh, stage managers, assistant managers, directors, producers, um, composers, and to continue to develop that. I guess we should also mention the web series we did, which was Notions. Uh, yes, I that was of... your idea initially as well, like, Val. I came back from New York like, Val. Are we doing something? And I didn't even know what we were doing. You had what looked like right. a hairdryer that turned out to be a video camera. <laughs> right. Well, I wrote a script that was kind of based on what it would have been like if we had known each other for a lot longer and we were much closer friends. And it literally was like the characters' names were Valerie and Owen. It was you coming back from New York. It was me and my partner like and us having like a problem because the three of us were all trying to live together and your character was extremely brash and rude and hilarious you know I think a lot of people enjoyed the show though like a lot of people watched it and we had some Anyone good responses we got all positive responses um I would say it was very ad lib like of course it was based on real life to some extent but then we were because we have such comedic um interactions anyway in real life it was kind of how we behave but taken to an extreme so me being extremely rude and brash and overconfident and ex ex just expecting you to do things for me that aren't guaranteed in any way shape or form and then you being kind of trying to rationalize things um but somehow encouraging a lot of my bad behavior and then we, I do think a lot of, like probably why, why it is working as well is like a lot of it was kind of almost improvised as we went um, and kind of done so fast and so quickly, like the improvised scenes on the Stevens Green. Of course, it was an element of planning and us typing the scripts up the night before. But, you know, those people didn't necessarily need to agree to do anything or they didn't necessarily need to react yeah. in a comedic way. Um, I don't know like we did like five episodes only one of them is like publicly available now the first one was the strongest one I felt um, but I think we just tried to do so much because we had this period of time where you and I were going to be living together and we were like okay let's do like a whole season like five episodes and I don't know we, we might have done well to like really like make the first one great which it kind of was pretty good but like maybe pitch it to we tried to pitch it to a few 
TV stations as well. So we have free tickets to, um, where was the... MediaCon. MediaCon. That was incredible. Like that, those tickets were hundreds, yeah. and then uh, we were invited to that, and I couldn't go. I wish I'd gotten the day off for that, but it was literally just completely clashed with um, my job in Bantry at the time, which is part of the accounting qualification. And and you went to that, and you were out meeting producers in RTE, and you had the trailer. RTE, TV three, a lot of different producers. Like I showed footage to, like of the cafe scene in episode one, and people really liked it. But the thing with like some of those. Uh, broadcasters they already had similar things on their slate like and they millennials did. they really did like millennials having a tough time you know going nowhere their... by Alison Spittle yeah nowhere even fast. the young offenders I, I was like the thread they were drawing connections now a bit too easily but yeah like we've the young, young offenders we're like we're nothing like the young offenders this is too right boring. exactly I think people are more hesitant you know if you were a known quantity they'd make room for you you know but like you know i had a great time making it i think parts of it are really hilarious uh i'm glad it's out there um and it meant that you and i got to work together and got to know each other a lot very quick (laughs) and a lot you know so listen exactly thank you so much for being on this podcast I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. Um, and I'm going to see you quite soon, I think. Yes. Well done on having the initiative. It's a, it's an excellent initiative, um, the podcast as well. I'm looking forward to watching all the other episodes. Thank you so much. And yes, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And we're going to watch The Hangman as well next weekend. Yes. Okay. All right. Listen, it was great to chat to you. And I'll see you very soon. And thank you for everything. I owe you no. so much in my life thank you for inviting me on you're welcome okay bye so that was me talking to valerie nilinchik i'm so glad to have had her on the show she's a serious talent with major potential and i can't wait to see what she does next and i hope you guys will tune in next week for the next episode this has been press play and surrender thank you for listening please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts 